the book of Genesis, chapter number 21. And uh, we're going to study tonight part number 12 in our series on the life of Abraham. And we've got just a few more in these parts of series. And tonight I want us to look at the end of chapter 21. Now, two weeks ago, we studied the beginning of chapter number 21. And uh, in the morning service, we looked at Hagar and the way that the Lord worked in her life. And then in the evening service, we looked at what God had done in Abraham's life. And tonight I want us to look from verses 22 to 34 tonight and to look at what God did in Abraham's life, but also look at the example that his faith left to his family. The Bible says in verse 22, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing. Neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What meaneth these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the way that you've met with us already today. Lord, I need your help tonight. I'm insufficient. Father, for the task at hand, I need you to give me the power and the unction that's needed to preach your word. But Lord, I pray not only that you give me the power to preach it, but Lord, give all of us the heart's grace to listen and, Father, to apply it to our lives. We need you tonight, Lord, more than we've ever needed you. And we just pray that you'd do a work that would not soon be forgotten. Lord, if there's one amongst us that's lost, show them their lost state. If there's one that's backslidden, show them the path back way, uh, back to your fellowship, Lord. But whatever needs to be accomplished, we're looking to you to do it. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I've titled tonight's message, Faith Designating. There's a lot of things we could look at in this passage. And certainly there's some uh, typical uh, truths that are found in this passage that we're really not going to touch on tonight because we want to look at Abraham's faith and the effect that it has. Picture with me, if you will, and you know, sometimes it does you some good to picture what's going on in the Word of God. You see, the Bible teaches us that, uh, notice what it says in verse 22, it says, and it came to pass at that time. Now, what time? At the same time that uh, Ishmael had been, uh, and Hagar had been driven out of the presence of Abraham, it was at that same time. You say, when was that time? Uh, that was right after Isaac had been weaned. Isaac probably uh, would have been just a little fella at this time. 
And picture with me, if you will, Abraham, this old, uh, war, uh, worn and battle-scarred man of God, this old prophet, as the Bible calls him, this old man of faith, as he goes to speak to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And I don't know, maybe this is just sanctified imagination, amen? But I imagine that there may have been a little boy following in his father's footsteps that day. I think there's significance in saying that the time frame was the same that had been referred to earlier in the passage. You see, Abraham was newly a father. Now, he had been the father of Ishmael, but now he's the father of Isaac, the child of promise. And we'll find in this passage that the things that Abraham does directly affect his family and his family's future. Can I say to you tonight that no man is an island unto himself? Boy, it'd be nice if our actions didn't affect others. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us, the the things we do affect those that are around us. I shared with the church, of course, this uh, this morning at the close of the service that, Lord willing, uh, by uh, the end of November, uh, I, I'll be a daddy. Amen. We're excited about that. And uh, maybe it's the weight of that knowledge bearing on me. But I think to myself, you know, we have a responsibility to a younger generation because they're looking to us. And not only to a younger generation in the sense of our children or maybe grandchildren, but young'uns all around us are looking to us for an example. And certainly Abraham may have felt pressure upon him. Now Ishmael has been driven out. No longer will his uh, actions have an influence on Ishmael, at least not his future actions. But here's this little Isaac, and it's going to change his life the way that Abraham lives. And in this passage, I believe we have three examples that Abraham gives to Isaac. And uh, some of them are good and some of them are bad. The Bible tells us that Abimelech came to Abraham and said, You know, Abraham said, I, the Lord's with you. And I want you to always be good to me because I know the Lord's going to prosper you. Hey, that's a testimony in and of itself. Wouldn't it be good if, if lost people uh, could come to us and say, You know, I know that God is with you. Wouldn't that be a testimony? I believe that's a testimony a Christian ought to have. And listen, you live right in front of your co-workers, and the preacher mentioned it the other night, they may make fun of you and they may mock you, uh, but when a tragedy comes and they need somebody to pray with, you're who they're going to go to, amen? And isn't it a great testimony when the lost can look at us and say, you know, I can tell God is with him. So Abimelech and his uh, captain go to Abraham and say, I want you to promise me that you're going to always be good to me, be good to my children, be good to my children's children. And Abraham says, well, I swear to you that I'll do that. But then Abraham does something interesting. The Bible tells us that Abraham reproved Abimelech for a well of water that his servants had violently taken away. And I got to thinking about that. What's the significance of this truth? You see, I believe what Abraham was doing here, I don't believe Abraham was reproving them because he needed this water so badly. I believe Abraham understood that his children one day would need to drink of this water. You say, preacher, what are you driving at? Listen, every one of us, we're building an environment for a generation to come. And things that may be just stepping stones to us can be stumbling blocks to them. And they need an example of people that are walking and living in faith. And I kind of believe that Abraham, when he counted the cost, is it worth it to dispute over this well? He may have looked at the little bright face of that baby boy and said, you know, I believe it's worth it to fight this fight. He gave him a powerful example. And if you're writing them down, you can write that down. 
Boy, isn't it good when you see your daddy be a daddy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, some of you know what it was like. You grew up, and I, I, I grew up this way myself. I grew up, and Daddy was Superman, you know. He could do anything. I mean, he could mow the yard. He could bush hog. He could open a pickle jar. He's Superman, you know. And I believe it's important for fathers to provide that kind of that kind of influence and that kind of example for their kids. You see, what Abraham was showing Isaac here through his faith was that there's a time for firmness in our life. Never have we raised a generation of so many effeminate young men as we have today. Never have we lived in a generation where people allow things to be taken over them or rights to be trampled on. Let me tell you something. I believe we need to get started teaching a younger generation, both men and women, that there's some things in this world that are worth fighting over. There's some things in this world that are important enough that you ought not just let it slide. There's some things in this world, though it may take a battle, the victory is worth it. I believe he was teaching uh, Isaac this truth, that this well of water was significant, not just because it belonged to them, but because it belonged to their children and their children's children. And your heritage, neighbor, your heritage, the godly testimony that you leave to your children, it doesn't just go to your children, but it has an influence on their children and their children, and their children, and their children. And I believe it's significant and important that we give our young people uh, a, a testimony and an example that there's some things in this world worth taking a stand over. Listen to me, the Word of God is worth taking a stand over. Uh, the, the truth of God's Word is worth taking a stand over. Living a godly, separated life, that's worth taking a stand over. Doctrine is worth taking a stand over. There's some things in this world, there's some things that probably aren't worth fighting over. But there's some things in this world that are worth fighting over. There, there's some things, listen to me, there's times in your life you're going to have to reprove some Abimelechs. You're going to have to take some stands. You're going to have to fight some battles. But let me just encourage you in saying there's probably a little Isaac somewhere, and he may belong to you, he may not. He may be just a little toe-headed boy, or he may be a grown man that's looking for an example, but there's an Isaac somewhere that's watching you and that needs to see that it's worth the fight. I believe he gave him a powerful example of firmness, but I believe he gave him a powerful example of forgiveness as well. The Bible tells us Abimelech's answer. And I'm just going to put it in modern hillbilly language, okay? So I hope that's all right tonight. Abimelech basically says, this is the first I've heard of it. That's what he says. Abraham says, your servants have violently taken this well away. And Abimelech says, I what not? He says, I didn't know anything about it. And nobody told me. And in fact, the first I've heard of it has been right now. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Abraham and Abimelech, uh, that, they, that Abraham gave sheep and oxen, and that they made a covenant one with another. Now, we're going to see another covenant here in just a moment that was made. But this is an entirely different covenant that's referred to earlier in the chapter. Read it with me and look at what it says uh, there in verse number 26. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. Let me say that he taught him not only an example of firmness, but an example of forgiveness. He taught Isaac that while there's some things worth fighting over, that you still need to know how to forgive. We live in a world that is enthralled and that is corrupted by bitterness. Christians, never has there been a time, it seems like, in the church, 
as there is today when Christians take the tiniest little thing and they make it a point of contention and bitterness and it cripples their walk with Christ. It's interesting that Abraham gave the sheep and oxen to Abimelech. You know what Abraham could have said? Abraham could have said, Abimelech, you want to make this right, you bring sheep and oxen to me. But Abraham was, if we could put it this way, Abraham was the bigger man about it. Abraham says, I know Abimelech's messed up. I know that he should have seen to his servants, and I know he should have been polite, and I know I'm a great and wealthy man, and he has trespassed upon my courtesy by allowing this to happen. And Abraham could have said, it's his responsibility. How many times have you heard somebody say that? Well, if they'll come to me, then I'll forgive them. Well, if they'll come to me, we'll make it right. Let me tell you something, neighbor. Aren't you, aren't you, aren't you thankful that wasn't God's attitude towards you? Listen, I know we had to ask for His forgiveness. I understand that. But aren't you thankful that the Lord didn't say, I'll die for Him when they show me they're worth dying for? Aren't you thankful the Lord didn't say, I'll die for Him when they prove to me they're never gonna hurt me again? Aren't you thankful the Lord just treated us with grace instead of justice? You see, Abraham had a choice, and he made his choice. And I believe that he was trying to teach that young little Isaac, even though you've got to fight some battles, learn how to forgive. Learn how to move past some things. People are going to hurt you. People are going to mess up. This preacher is going to hurt you. He's going to mess up. Chances are you're going to hurt me some. That's just life. Uh, you get two people, they live in a close enough vicinity, they're going to get their feelings hurt. And you know, some people walk around this world and they get their feelings hurt because they stuck, got them stuck six foot way out and somebody bumps into them. That's just the way people are sometimes. And I guess I'm that way sometimes too. You're going to hurt people's feelings. People are going to hurt you. So you better learn how to forgive in life. And you better learn how to let somebody forgive you. You better learn in life how to get past some things, how to love each other, how to get over it. Instead of making everything a battle, you've got to win. Because listen to me, Abraham fought the battle, but when the battle was over, he knew how to forgive. Powerful example that Abraham left to him. But I want you to notice a little further on in the chapter, the Bible teaches us that he gave a powerful example. And I believe all of us, men and women alike, we need to be conscious that people are watching us. We need to leave these examples. But notice what he does next in verse 28. The Bible says, And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. You say, what does this mean? I want to say, first off, Abraham gave him a a powerful example of firmness and forgiveness. But I want to say, secondly, that Abraham gave him a perpetual example. You see, if you used to read a couple chapters later here, or about four chapters later, you'd find that there came a time in Isaac's life when he went down to Gerar and went to a place called Beersheba. The Bible says that God pressed upon his heart to dig again the wells of his father Abraham. I mentioned it earlier. These wells were being dug not just for Abraham's benefit, but for the benefit of of his son and his son's son and future generations. What Abraham was doing was taking these seven new lambs and entering into a covenant with Abimelech and basically giving them, as he says, as a witness. 
to prove to Abimelech. In other words, so he can look at Abimelech and say, this well does not belong to you, it belongs to me, and let's make it clear and let's have it legal and let's have it final that this well is my well. I kind of believe that Abraham wasn't doing that because he was so concerned about it. You see, he was wanting to give something to leave to his children. I want to say there's two things that he taught Isaac in doing this. One is he gave him an example of the propitiatory power of a blood sacrifice. You see, as he gave these, he didn't give uh, he didn't give turtle doves and he didn't give bullocks, but he gave a lamb. I believe he was trying to teach Isaac that there's power in the sacrifice of a lamb. This would be taught to him, of course, on Mount Moriah in the next chapter. But I believe he's trying to show that what's accomplished through the giving of a lamb is something that lasts. It's something that's significant. You see, our first parents, if we could call them that, were taught this principle in the Garden of Eden. We don't know that it was a lamb. We know that it was skins of animals. But they were taught that a blood sacrifice could atone and cover their sins. And it was passed down from generation to generation, this truth, over and over and over and over again. You say, what was Abraham doing? He was doing his part to take the truth that had been passed to him and to pass it on to his son. Let me tell you something. I think we have a responsibility to teach our young people the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. The Bible teaches us that spiritual teaching, I didn't say religious education, but spiritual teaching is to be exercised within the home. I believe the greatest failure of homes today is a complete deficiency of spiritual teaching. And so much, and I know uh, sometimes us men, we like to quote the passage that says, let women keep silence in the church. And it's in there, isn't it? Amen. And uh, the Bible says that if any woman has a question, let her ask her husband at home. And that's what the Bible says. But I wonder how many of us men would be ready to answer it if we were asked that question. I wonder if our kids came to us and had a question about the Word of God. How many of us men would know the Bible well enough to be able to answer that question? You say, I haven't got any kids. Well, then grandkids. You say, I haven't got any grandkids. Well, then nieces and nephews. You say, I ain't got any nieces and nephews. Well, then the neighbor boy that lives down the street. Some young person in your life that needs guidance and direction in the things of God. They need to be taught some spiritual truths. And we have responsibility. I believe Abraham was teaching Isaac something about this. But I believe he was teaching him a second thing. I believe he was showing him a perpetual example of the importance of purity. You see, when uh, when Isaac came to these wells, the Bible says that the Philistines had stopped them up. By the way, you want to know how good the promises of the world are? Whenever Abraham had made this covenant, Abimelech said, Oh yeah, that's your will. well. By the time you get to Isaac's lifetime, the Philistines have already kicked it full of dirt. The problems of this world don't mean a thing. And listen to what happened. He comes and he finds that this, these wells have been kicked full of dirt and Isaac begins to dig them again. And I believe this truth has been taught to Isaac, that a well is of no value except it be kept clean. I've dealt with this truth before in messages. But each and every one of us, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God is a fountain of living waters, but when we drink of the Holy Spirit, He he is in us a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
but a well of water has to be kept clean, doesn't does no good. They talked about Jacob's well uh, over in Israel, uh, that it is so many hundred feet more shallow than it used to be in the time that Jacob would have lived. Because you know what people would do? They'd come along and they'd take a rock and they'd throw it and drop it down in that well to hear it kerplunk when it hit the water. After years and years and years, it just began to fill that well up. And a well is of no value unless it be kept clean. And let me tell you something. A well is a means of access to the water that comes from the spring or the fountain. Let me tell you what you have in your life and what I have in my life. The Holy Spirit is the living water, and He becomes in us a well of living water springing up into life everlasting. But we have to keep the well clean if we're going to have access. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Are you saying I can lose my salvation? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this, that we have access to the Holy Spirit through a few different things. And I could give you all of them, but... I'm just going to give you a couple here. Let me say that Bible study is a means of access to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Bible says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Let me tell you what a lot of us have allowed. We've allowed the Philistines to kick dirt in that well. We've allowed the world to block out our time to study the Word of God and to dwell in it. And then we boo-hoo and cry uh, lift our fists to God and say, Lord, I can't get anything out of your word. Well, if you're not spending time in it, you're not going to get anything out of it. Prayer is another well. The Bible says we're to pray in the Spirit. Our, our supplications and prayers in the Spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God helpeth our uh, infirmities, maketh intercession for us. Uh, prayer is a deeply spiritual matter with the Holy Spirit. And prayer certainly is a means. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost would come upon you and you shall receive power. But what were they doing when that happened? They were in an upper room and they were praying consistently. Paul speaks of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the unction of the Holy Spirit being bestowed because he's praying for people, praying for people, praying for people. And prayer is a means to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you know what? Sometimes we allow, we allow the Philistines to come along and kick dirt in our prayer closet. I believe that, that Abraham was trying to teach Isaac that if you're going to get good and clear and clean water that nourishes the soul, it's going to take vigilance and it's going to take watchfulness. It's going to take energy. It's going to take work. Never have we lived in a day of such lazy Christianity. We pray once about something and then start to nod up on God if he doesn't give us what we want. You name me one time that the Bible, uh, that God ever promised to answer in one prayer other than salvation. You show me one other promise where God ever said, if you pray to me once about this, I'll answer it other than salvation or forgiveness of sin. When we pray for things, it's probably going to take quite a while. You say, why is that? I don't know. I'm not God. But God has a purpose in it. Every bit of it there's purpose in. And it takes work to maintain a walk with Christ. It takes work to stay pure. It takes work to stay devoted. It doesn't just happen on accident. We don't roll out of bed and bump our heads and wake up the greatest Christian in the world. It takes diligence to accomplish these things. In nailing ourselves to a cross. In crucifying our flesh, mortifying the deeds of our body, saying, Lord, I'm not going to do things my way, I'm going to do them your way, and then living in that, in obedience and practicing that. It takes energy and it takes effort. It takes energy to be pure and to maintain purity. I believe he gave him 
a powerful example of firmness and forgiveness and a perpetual example of propitiation and of purity. And I'm going to give you one more thing. It's not even going to have subpoints. Look at verse number 33. The Bible says, And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. The word grove is found 41 times in your Bible. And it's interesting, this is the first time it's ever mentioned. Never before had a man planted a grove. Yet Abraham is the man that planted the first grove in the Word of God. It's interesting that the first man that's spoken of a, as a prophet is the first man that planted a grove. Doesn't that tell us how close ministry and idolatry can dwell? A grove, all of those 41 times, is always connected with negativity, with idolatry. It's always sinful every time you see a grove in the Word of God. And Abraham was the man that planted the first grove. Let me say that groves were already a cultural element in the time that Abraham was dwelling in Gerar. He did not concoct the notion of a grove. He adopted the notion of a grove. He introduced idolatry into the Judaistic mind frame. I want to say that he gave a powerful example. And I want to say that he gave a perpetual example. But I want to say that in some ways he gave a pitiful example. Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad? You you ever heard your... And I don't want you to raise your hand. I I really don't. I, I don't want anybody to raise their hand to this or admit this. I want you to think about it in your own heart and life. But there ever been a time when you heard your little one say a cuss word and you wondered where they got it from? but you knew where they got it from? You ever you ever had your little one start getting a terrible attitude and you wondered where did they get that from? And then you remembered where they got it from. They got it from you. Isn't it awful when sometimes the very people that God entrusts with the raising of a child or the example given to others is the very one that leads young people astray? What you do in moderation, others do in excess. I've given this example before. If you're at church, every single time the doors are open, every single time, then at least expect that your children are probably going to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night. If you're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, expect them to be here maybe Sunday morning only. If you're here Sunday morning only, expect them to be here, oh, Maybe on Easter, maybe on Christmas. If you show up once a month, or if you show up on Easter and Christmas alone, don't expect them to ever be in church. It's always a degrading thing, example is. It's never a concentrated effort. And I mean concentrated in the sense that maybe a powder might be to make some kind of a liquid. It's never a concentrated thing. It's never a little bit of an effort for a lot of pay. It's always a lot of effort for a little bit of pay. And you know this. Those of you that have raised families and those of you that have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, you know that you do right all the time when you do wrong. Those little eyes, they're on you and they're watching and they take note of it. To my knowledge, we don't have anywhere in the life of Isaac where he builds a grove. But time and time again throughout the history of the children of Israel, groves are built. Groves are torn down. Groves are built. Groves are torn down. Groves are built. Time and time again, the children of Israel struggled, struggled, struggled with idolatry. You say, where did they get that from? They got that from their father, Abraham, as they like to call him. 
the things we do have an example, have an effect on those that are around us, not just our kids, but those that are around us in every facet of life. And they're watching us. They're waiting to see what we do. Understand that your faithfulness, they're probably... Now, you say, preacher, are you saying that that my children are automatically going to be less faithful than me? I'm saying out of character, raising, and habit, they're only going to be a portion as faithful as you are. God can get a hold of their heart, and that ought to be our prayer and our desire. But, you know, there's some people in this world that are just as wicked and ungodly and they don't have any time for God or the things of God, but they work an eight-hour day and they work all eight hours of it and they put in a good day and they're honest and they work hard. You say, where'd they get that from? That was their raising. They was raised that way. It doesn't come from God. That was their raising. And your children, when it comes to their character and their raising and what they adopt from you because they've seen it in you, expect only a portion of your faithfulness. And understand that you're going to have to live a life above reproach in front of them. Not perfect, not perfect, but live a life where they can look up to you and see God in your life. Like Abimelech said about Abraham, God is with you. I can tell God is with you. It ought to be our children and grandchildren and our nieces and nephews and those around us can say that about our life. I wonder what kind of an example you're leaving to those around you. And I wonder if it could be better than what it is. You know, it's funny. I don't know why, but the devil tells us that that if we go to an altar, people are going to think that we're terrible people. (laughs) You know, that's completely opposite to the attitude that most Christians have. When a person goes to the altar, we assume they're doing business with the Lord. And maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, Preacher, it's not that I'm a terrible person, but I do know there's areas of my life I could be closer to the Lord. And let me encourage you, don't let this opportunity pass you by. Make your way to this altar. Talk to the Lord. Pray about it. I can't fix it. He can And he wants to and he will.